cyber warfare as a geopolitical tool. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dr. Ben Buchanan, author and assistant teaching professor at the Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. Welcome, Dr. Buchanan. Thanks for having me. Your professional background includes the study of the intersection of cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and statecraft. What got you interested in all of that? I think when I was younger, like so many teenagers, I wanted to play and make video games. And I was really interested in technology. And then as I got a little bit older, I thought, you know, maybe this technology stuff is all fun and games. It doesn't really matter. What matters is geopolitics in the world. So uh, when I went to college and, and so forth, I studied things like Arabic. I studied things like counterterrorism. I studied things like foreign policy. And what I soon realized was that, was that actually these two worlds were merging. And so for the last decade or so, I really thought about how technology is shaping and reshaping uh, national security and foreign policy. And there's no technology that does that more and more immediately than cybersecurity and how nations hack one another. You released a book in 2020 titled The Hacker and the State, Cyber Attacks and the New Normal of Geopolitics. What motivated you to write the book? I think what, what bothered me is that so much of our discussion of hacking operations was hypothetical imagining what a cyber 9-11 or a cyber Pearl Harbor would look like. And I had this notion that we didn't need to be so hypothetical or so theoretical that we could find the stories of the cases that actually happen. And that's what the book is about, is these cases of how nations project power in cyberspace, how they reshape the world to, to their advantage. And what I found was that cyber operations, hacking operations aren't always or, or almost never these bolt from the blue surprise attacks that we've imagined in war games or in, in a cyber 9-11. What they are in many cases is this daily occurrence, this daily struggle for advantage, part of what I call the new normal of geopolitics as nations compete every single day for advantage in cyberspace. Speaking of a huge cyber event, we've all been waiting for the cyber 9-11 or cyber Pearl Harbor for decades. Is that attack out there to come or have we been successful in preventing or maybe mitigating it? What we have seen is over the last two decades, cyber operations have gotten more and more aggressive. So in 2015, 2016, we saw the first ever, first two ever publicly known blackouts caused by cyber attacks. But the blackouts only lasted a few hours. They were perpetrated by Russian military hackers in Ukraine. So we haven't seen this cyber 9-11, this cataclysmic event. But what that uh, doesn't mean is, is that cyber operations don't matter. In fact, cyber operations do matter. And they're a huge part of, of international uh, foreign policy carried out by nations. They're a huge way in which nations try to get an, an edge over their geopolitical rivals, even if it takes a form that's different than the one that we expected. What do policymakers and academics often get wrong about government hacking? And how can detailed study of these cases educate us? A lot of times it's easy to view hacking operations through a prism that's familiar. And so often that's a nuclear prism, a prism of nuclear war, nuclear strategy, deterrence. And we see academics do this and we see policymakers do this. But I'm actually not sure that's right. I think that prism is one that's often focused around signaling because the weapons are so terrible, nations can't actually use them speaking of nuclear weapons, they've got a signal and posture and threat and coerce. Cyber operations, in contrast, are about shaping. 
And if signaling is changing how the other side plays their hand at the poker table, shaping is stacking the deck. Shaping is stealing cards. And shaping is, in cyber operations, this business of spying, of attacking, of subverting um, what the adversary is doing to gain an advantage. And it's a totally different paradigm than the one so many policymakers and academics are used to. Who are some of the most significant adversaries of the United States in cyberspace? And what have they done? The big four we often talk about are Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. Russia probably is the most aggressive, certainly when it comes to attacks. Of course, we mentioned the, the two blackouts in Ukraine perpetrated by Russian hackers. There's also a Russian attack called NotPetya. It did more than $10 billion of damage, probably the most destructive cyber attack in history in 2017. Of course, we know of the Russian election interference in 2016. So Russia is a very aggressive actor. China is what we might call insidious. They don't launch devastating attacks. They don't do damage, or at least they haven't yet. What they do do is they gather up extraordinary amounts of information. Uh, they carry out incredibly aggressive cyber espionage against military targets, stealing jet fighter designs and the like, against economic targets, stealing intellectual property, and perhaps most strikingly, against so many Americans, stealing uh, travel records, health insurance records, financial records. In the case of financial records, it's from the Equifax. So it's 140 million uh, records on Americans, incredibly aggressive and insidious behavior from China. And Iran and North Korea are similar in that they're aggressive in, in the sense of attacking, but they're not as capable as Russia. North Korea launched a, a cyber attack on Sony in 2014 in retaliation for the movie, The Interview, which depicted the assassination of its leader, Kim Jong-un. Iran has launched cyber attacks in retaliation for comments um, by anti-Iranian figures or pro-Israeli figures like Sheldon Adelson. Um, so they've, they've both shown their uh, capacity and willingness to throw punches, just not at the same level of China or Russia. You and I talked about this a little bit before the show today. How has the pandemic changed the cyber threat landscape? I think it's a reminder of how digital and interconnected our world is. I mean, we obviously we're doing this interview virtually, everything is happening uh, virtually now. And to the degree that that's the terrain on which cyber operations unfold, it's one more reminder of how important it is that nations have an advantage in that terrain. And for intelligence services, it's one more opportunity for them to intercept communications and gain advantage over others because so much is moving through this digital terrain meetings that used to be in person uh, are now online. And that's one more opportunity to intercept what's being said. What's the biggest mystery in this book that you weren't able to crack? Every author has their white whale. Every author has the, the thing they wish they could just shine a little bit more light on. And I, I'm proud of, of how much I managed to uncover and how much I was able to put the pieces together. But there is one chapter in the book that's a mystery story still. Uh, I lay out some theories, but I, I, don't, I don't know the answer, so I can't give the answer. And that's a case called the Shadow Brokers. And the Shadow Brokers are a mysterious organization, group, something like that, that appeared online in the summer of 2016 and somewhat implausibly just started dropping and revealing uh, incredibly advanced American hacking capabilities. And I say implausible because no one would have thought this could have happened, but it did. And over the next year or so, they revealed some of the most powerful hacking capabilities in the world, one of which was so powerful. Um, an NSA official said it was like fishing with dynamite. 
the United States has used these has used these capabilities to hack targets and advance its own interests for a number of years before, and suddenly they were appearing online for all to see and crucially for others to use. And both North Korea and Russia picked up these hacking capabilities and used them to help advance their own hacking operations. And even now, more than four years later, we have no idea who the shadow brokers are. It is a fascinating mystery uh, and one that I think tells us a lot about the, the house of mirrors that is this world of modern cyber operations. Looking beyond this book, what are some signals and trends we should be following related to geopolitical hacking? One of the things that's interesting to me is the degree to which automation on offense and on defense will change this game. And I spend a lot of time now thinking about AI and what AI can and can't do to transform cyber operations. There's an extraordinary amount of hype around AI, but there's also some serious um, reality to pieces of that hype. And there, there are ways in which AI can, can transform things that I think are very interesting that can help make cyber operations more powerful. And one example is the 2016 blackout in Ukraine uh, used a much more automated function of attack than the 2015 blackout. So we even saw just in the space of a year, the same Russian operators or appears to be the same Russian operators using more advanced and more automated code. And one of the questions is, is that the shape of things to come? Will we see more automation in our cyber capabilities? And what will that do to the power of those capabilities? Dr. Ben Buchanan, assistant teaching professor at the Georgetown University School of Foreign Service and author of The Hacker and the State, Cyber Attacks, and the new normal of geopolitics. If somebody wants to connect with you, Ben, what's the best way they can do that? The book is available uh, anywhere fine books are sold, Amazon independent booksellers, and I'm available on Twitter at Buchanan Ben. Thanks again, Ben. And find more of my interviews right here on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.